RCC, how you doing? Man, so great to see you this morning. So great to see the snow on the mountains all over our valley. So great not to be in the snow, but get to enjoy its beauty. And so glad that you're here. I want to welcome you here at the Victorville campus. I want to welcome those in Apple Valley and Hesperia and those online that are watching with us today. We're really grateful that you're here. Grateful you made this a part of your weekend uh, calendar. And how good is it to get to be with God's people, to get to focus be preoccupied on him. I got to tell you, there are about 10 of us from our staff that went to a conference that we attend most every year. It's usually at a different church here in Southern California with a association that we're a part of. Some of you know, we're a part of a group called Transformation Ministries. Others of you didn't know that and don't care. And that's great too. It's no big deal. But within that, one of the things I just want to tell you, for those of you who are aware of that, um, that that was a big part of this last meeting this weekend or this last week was kind of a reveal of a brand new brand and name change. And so Transformation Ministries, if we ever mention that again, it will be a, a faux pas because that organization's new name is Aspire Network, Aspire Network. So we'll refer to that over time. And it's neat to see what God is doing. That group is expanding kind of throughout the country. It used to be real localized here in Southern California, and it's just kind of spreading out. And uh, we walked away encouraged, but I will tell you, uh, when I think about our worship teams, I think about people I get to hear teach from this stage uh, when it's not me, I just appreciate so much what God has done and how he's blessed us. And I was a part of those meetings, they were great, but I just sat there and thought, man, I can't get, wait to get home to HDC. And I can't wait to get home. We love you. We love what we're doing. We love this season that we're in. And we're really loving this series. If you have a Bible, make your way to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to continue in our series today. We've taken it really slow walking through this first chapter. And we're going to pick it up. And, and what we've been seeing, the, one of the real reasons we thought, why 1 Peter to kick off this brand new year is because we wanted to be reminded of what Peter knew his readers 2,000 years ago needed to know, needed to be mindful of, and what we know we need to know and be mindful of. That as followers of Jesus, we are exiles here. That as followers of Jesus, we recognize he is our only hope. And that as followers of Jesus, our citizenship, our inheritance is awaiting us in heaven. So we need to be mindful of those same things and, and let those permeate our understanding, our lifestyles, our just awareness on a daily basis. And so that's why we're loving this book. It's just been powerful in those regards. And we're gonna kind of shift to a new gear. A lot of the focus has been on things like hope and holiness in the first part of chapter one. Today, as we finish chapter one, we're gonna shift. Peter's gonna remind us of the importance of our harmony. Our harmony, that's so important, the way that we deeply love one another from the heart. So having this sense of a real call to this horizontal relationship with each other in Jesus's church. So I'm excited to dive into that with you. So let's get to it. In your notes, your Bibles are open to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. Number one today, God's word reveals how we're loved so we can love others. 
God's word reveals how we're loved so that we can love others. Today we're going to see every point relates to God's word. God's word is the catalyst in every part of the message today. And you'll see that flesh out. We pick it up in verse 22 of chapter one. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, and here's a purpose statement, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Love one another deeply from the heart. Just like last week, this week has three imperative verbs. And we've said imperative verbs are directives. You're called to do something. And that's our first one today. Love one another deeply from the heart. Now it begins with this concept of so that now that you've purified yourselves, and actually that, that phraseology sounds different than what we looked at a couple weeks ago with, so as God is holy, so you be holy. But in the original Greek language, those are the same words. This idea of being set aside for a purpose. Remember we talked a little bit about a toothbrush and that whole concept of what that means. So Peter's doubling down on this concept. Now that you have purified, now that you have sanctified, now that you have set yourself aside for God's purpose. And then he kind of turns the corner. We usually think of that, of this kind of moral purity, but he goes, now that you've done that so that you have a love, a sincere love, for each other. That part of the reality of the outpouring, the outworking of holiness is a sincere love for our brothers and sisters. That's Peter's expectation. Now it's interesting as you read the whole phrase of what we've just looked at, Peter actually is using two different words that we translate in our English Bibles as love. And we've said it before, this is a big problem in our English language. When the word love, that word that we use all the time means everything. I love my car, I love my dog, I love my wife. Man, I sure hope you love those things differently. That's not good. Well, when that word means everything, often that word means nothing. And so in the original Greek language, Peter's using two different words. His readers would have understood philea, is the first one that now that you have a sincere love for one another and that love would be a love related to friendship. We actually have a city in our country named after that Philadelphia city of brotherly love and that brotherly friendship kind of love is what Peter was referring to. And I, I find it fascinating as I was thinking about that. Remember I've been forecasting that the book of first Peter is written to people who are suffering because they follow Jesus. Well, you haven't read a lot of that yet. I guarantee you it's coming. And I'm thinking that when Peter's talking about now that you have this sincere philea, love for one another. And I think about the idea of that kind of friendship bond that's especially strengthened through common hardship. Friendships that are forged in foxholes. Man, it's amazing. You have been through some things and sometimes you've been through them with other people, sometimes your spouse, sometimes with your kids, but other times friends, other times brothers and sisters in a local church. And you might even not see them for a season. And as they come walking towards you, what you're realizing in real time is two things. Number one, just looking at them brings back the common hardship that you locked arms together and walked through, but it also brings back how grateful you are for their loyal love and friendship. That's this kind of love. And, and these Christians in this region of the world that we've been looking at, 
no doubt have been through some things like that already. And no doubt that friendship love is growing even stronger because of the common hardships that they're facing. So Peter says that that's a given. You already have that kind of love, but then he turns it and his imperative verb is using a different word for the word love, agape. Agape, a love that gives to others in a way that meets the needs they have without any expectation in return. It's the love used most often in the New Testament for God's love towards us. Now, I don't want you to get lost in the insurance pitch, but I was reminded, it was amazing to realize that this was the Super Bowl of 2020. So just before, a month before, everyone's worlds got turned upside down. This ad aired during the Super Bowl and does the best job of communicating the four different words for love in the Greek language. Take a look. The ancient Greeks had four words for love. The first is philia. Philia is affection that grows from friendship. Next, there's storge, the kind you have for a grandparent or a brother. Third, there's eros, the uncontrollable urge to say, I love you. The fourth kind of love is different. It's the most admirable. It's called agape. Love as an action. It takes courage, sacrifice, strength. For 175 years, we've been helping people act on their love so they can look back or look ahead and say, we got it right. We did good. I just, I don't know if you remember that ad, man, I watched that and I just thought I've never seen anything communicate that so powerfully. And I'm not so much thinking about the distinct loves, I'm just talking about the action, the the visual images for what agape looks like in real life. Love one another deeply from the heart. I wouldn't want you, I think when we hear that phrase from the heart, we tend to think, oh, that's about emotion. That's like love one another deeply, feel deeply a lot of things for a lot of people. And while love often includes a degree of emotion, agape love is an action word. It is something that is demonstrative. There is no way that the person that you're showing agape to doesn't know it. It's not reserved for you, it's all poured out for them. Look in your notes, this is a way of seeing it. God's love, his agape love is selfless, giving, and overtly expressed so that the recipient is highly aware, highly aware that they are being loved as their needs are being met. Man, that's so cool. So this is what Peter's saying. You've had this friendship bond with one another. You have suffered together, but let that lead to an agape love that is demonstrative, that doesn't seek anything in return and might be given to someone you don't even know. It's not about a friendship, it's about a sacrifice and be willing to love that way as well. Now in Peter's letter so far, he's talked about a lot of significant things, a lot of focus on faith, a lot of focus on hope, a lot of focus on holiness, like we said. And now he finally gets to this concept, this important need of of loving one another. And we knew he would get there when Jesus was asked, what are the two, or really what is the most important commandment? Jesus didn't hesitate, love God wholeheartedly, but he couldn't stop there and love your neighbor as yourself. 
So we know that Jesus said the most important things, how you like the video, get it right, is loving God and loving people. So within this, Peter was going to get there and the reason he was going to get there is somewhat simple. Because love is going to be something that we're going to demonstrate to one another for eternity. But faith and hope, those are terminal. Paul said it this way in what we often call the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, and the very last words of that chapter. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. You've read that phrase before, the greatest of these. Is Paul saying that because he goes, man, all three are really awesome, really important, but man, love's the best. I think he's saying it this way, the one that will endure. Why? Because one day your faith is going to be sight and you'll see Jesus as he is. You won't need an ounce of faith in that moment. And one day your hope is gonna be realized as God is making good on every promise he's ever made to you. You won't need faith, you won't need hope, but you will always demonstrate love. And that's a powerful reality that Peter is now churning up that we're gonna see more and more throughout his letter. Here's what I've done for you. I hate just kind of talking about love and not showing it. So you have a rectangular box at the bottom of your notes. All campuses take a look at that. And here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna give you space and time right now. And I'm gonna have you do this. I want you to identify a person and I want you to identify an actionable item that you will do, not could do, not should do, you will do before you go to work or school tomorrow. So you have the rest of the day and tonight, write it down. This is how I'm going to agape somebody in my life today or tonight. If I'm filling in that box, we have this wonderful privilege of hosting a baby shower in our home, working with Joanna and really in doing that, that included me helping with a lot of the, the prep and the, the cleaning and getting ready. And I did it without grumbling. That's progress right there, okay? That's what Todd would fill in the box. So I'm gonna be quiet, take a few seconds, write down who and what you're gonna do to demonstrate God's love one another deeply from the heart. That's good, I love that here at Victorville. A lot of heads are down, that means you're doing it. So thank you, thanks for taking action on that. Let's keep going, keep writing that in. We'll move to the next page where you can flip back to finish your thought if you didn't have time. Number two, and again, we see God's word is the catalyst. God's word can give you new life because it's alive and enduring. God's word can give you new life because it's alive and enduring. We continue in our passage, verse 23. Peter writes, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. 
Peter's gonna go back to a theme that he has been mentioning all throughout this first chapter, and that's of spiritual rebirth. He said it from our very second message, verse three, you have a new birth into a living hope. He's talked about the fact that you are now, he called us obedient children. He talked about our relationship to our father. So there's all this family language that comes as a result of being born into a new family. So he's, he's making this and now he's actually bringing up a new point because he's talked about our rebirth. He's talked about how that's happened, the role of the Holy Spirit in that new birth, as well as last weekend, we saw the role of the precious blood of Christ that redeemed, that paid the ransom to sin and death so we could be born again. Now, it, it really seems very reminiscent of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter three, where Jesus tells him, Nicodemus, he was an expert in the law, the, the most of the religious elite in all of Israel at the time. And he tells him, you must be born again. And here's the guy who's at the upper escalon of intelligence and, and understanding of religion. And he goes, that's, I don't even have a category for that. You mean go back inside my mother? And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to, to spirit. And so Jesus was helping him understand there's a whole new dynamic of being born into a new life, a new family, a new just identity. And he talks about the role of the Holy Spirit in John chapter three. And here in first Peter one, we talked about Jesus's blood was a key aspect of creating the way it was the right economy for purchasing our redemption. And now here we see the role of the word of God. And we see that it's played out really well. The way he says it, he says, you weren't reborn with perishable seed, but imperishable. And so he's talking about the seed and, and it really conjures, right? The, the beautiful parable of the sower and the seed. The sower who goes out and is throwing seed and Jesus says clearly, this is the word of God and of all these different soils, it ultimately lands in the good soil and produces a crop. So that imagery is really there and really powerful. But I want you to see something Anytime, this is the beauty of going through a book of the Bible relatively slowly as we can stop and really see themes. And, and when you see a theme come up three times in one chapter, you wanna pause and go, man, he's really wanting to communicate something. And here's the theme I wanna draw your attention to. This is the third time that Peter has contrasted something that is temporal, something that is perishable with something that is not just like in this text, imperishable. Go back up to verse seven. And in the contrast, this is the way he laid it out. He said that on the one hand, you were not, what is of greater worth is your faith that is lasting and eternal than imperishable gold. Even though it's refined by fire, it's not gonna last the test of time. So that's the first contrast was faith is lasting and imperishable, but gold is gonna perish. Then he takes that same concept, silver and gold are perishable, but the spotless, the, the pure blood of Christ is imperishable. And we saw that last week. And he's contrasting these two things again. One is of a category that is, that is faulty and frail. The other is of a category that is strong and lasting. And now today we see this third type, 
seed that gives birth to life but ultimately ends in death, that's our human condition. And then another seed though, an imperishable seed that gives birth to life and continues forever. So these contrasts, and it, it just kind of conjures up to the mind, were Peter's readers in the first century entrusting themselves to things, hoping that that would be a source of salvation, hoping that would be a way that would buoy them up in difficult times. And Peter is setting up this argument every time to go, that stuff isn't gonna last, that stuff isn't even of the right economy, these things are. And the word of God, something outside of us, something definitely other, something that is lasting, the word of the Lord stands forever, endures forever. That's the kind of seed that was sown into our lives. And I want you to think about that. I wanna take a moment today. I want you to think about, though there was a lot of ways that God was getting your attention, as the Holy Spirit was beginning to wake you up. Remember we talk about we're spiritually dead on arrival. So we need the Holy Spirit to wake us up, to prepare us to even respond to the gospel. Dead things don't respond to anything. But as that was happening, there was a point of time in which you said, Jesus, I'm in. Jesus, I'm responding to the invitation in the gospel. Jesus, I surrender. And in that moment, as the seed, the word of God began to penetrate the good soil, right? You had had maybe the other kinds of soil in your heart before, but now, back to that parable, now you have the good soil and the seed goes into the soil and it begins to produce. It begins to produce a plant first and foremost, but remember the other two soils did that too. So it wasn't as though the farmer was looking for simply a plant, the farmer sows seed to get a crop. And that's what began to happen in your life as you began to produce the evidence of God's saving spirit in your life. None of us are complete, none of us are there. But I want you to process for a moment, not just the moment when you place your faith in Christ, but I want you to process what that seed has produced. I want you to process what that seed has produced in terms of the things that you now love that before you couldn't care less about. About the things that you now hate because they're the same things God hates. The things that are producing into a selflessness and a desire to be about other people rather than consumed by self. I want you to think about that seed that Peter's writing about and what it is producing in your life because that's what Peter's referring to. That's the imperishable seed that brings rebirth. But I want you to do something else today. I want you to contrast that just like we saw what Peter's been doing so far. And I want you to contrast that with the seeds of death that have also been sown into your life over your lifetime. Maybe it was an idea that was presented that as you began to follow it, you realized you were just in a maze in a trap. Maybe it was some kind of just way of life that you began to pursue and as you did, you realized it was a lie. Maybe you were introduced to someone or someones and their influence in your life caused you to continue to walk down a path that has led to great regret, 
led to addiction, led to great senses of devastation in your life and a crater in the lives of others around you. Those are the seeds of death. And they have been equally sown into your life and at times have had a place to grow and they have also produced a crop. And here's what I want you to see more than anything today. See the contrast. See that these seeds were sown and developed fallout destruction but see that the word of God has been sown into your life and it is producing a harvest of righteousness. And I want you to see within this, though incomplete like everyone is, I want you to see the way that that's affecting not only your life, but the lives of people around you who are better off, who are recognizing who God is better And you are seeing, God, this is a life you've called me to. I have a lot of regret. I have a lot of fallout. I have a lot of scars over here. But this, this, these are the seeds of life. I want you to see that sometimes because sometimes we fail to appreciate what God is up to and what his work is in our lives until we contrast it by the seeds of death that have also been sown. And that's the imagery that Peter's been using in this first chapter is he's contrasting things that are going to fail, things that are of this world, things that are destructive with things that are going to last and things that produce a crop of righteousness. This is why he says, this is what the word of God contributes, this truth that it brings into our lives and this truth that it allows us to know how to live. You see, at HCC, truthfulness The truth in the word of God is so very important to us that though we live in a culture that is having a hard time defining if there even is such a thing, for us, we just go, man, we we don't know how to live unless we know it from the word of God. It is our roadmap, it is this love letter written from Almighty God that we would know who he is and we would know how to live in response. And so to us, truthfulness is of a great importance, so much so, it's the first of our four core values. Take a look in your notes, and this is the the way we've described this idea of truthful, is that prepared world changers, the people that we are striving to be, they have this posture, they love the truth, they learn the truth, and they live the truth. They love the truth, they value it deeply, They uh, aspire to learn it. They want to know it more. And then they know it needs to flesh out in their lives as they live it. It's one of our core values. It's our highest of our four. And it matters so much to us. And I want you to know that truthfulness doesn't just get espoused on this stage. Your kids right now in our children's programming, that is a huge value of all of our ministries. So therefore our children, your children are hearing the truth of God's word. Your students that are involved in our student programming all throughout the week, that is a core value of our student ministries team. We have a thing that's following up this great thing that's permeated our church called Rooted that's called Deep Dive. And Deep Dive is a new layer into this knowledge of God. HGCU, which you heard talked about today, our next class in a couple weeks, that is drilling down into the truthfulness of God's word. So it's important to us, it matters. We talk about it a lot. And we want to share it. We want to make much of it because that's how we know. What did Jesus say? You'll know the truth. It will set you free. We love seeing people become free from the wages of sin and death. 
And that's such a rich thing to get to be a part of. God's word is the catalyst. Let's move to this third point. We see our final two imperative verbs today. God's word helps us grow up and know what to avoid. God's word helps us grow up and know what to avoid. And we finally move into chapter two. And here we pick it up in verse one. Therefore, by the way, whenever we read the word therefore in the Bible, we ask the question, what's it there for? So Peter's saying, of all that I've been saying in chapter one, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up, you may mature in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So the summary word, and by the way, Peter wrote a letter. Peter didn't, Peter didn't write chapters and verses. That's been done later on for our benefits. We can easily reference something. But this first, basically fifth, of Peter's thoughts, he's wrapping up into this ball and saying, as a result of everything I've said, and now he's giving the second of two imperative verbs, rid yourselves. It's another way of saying cast off, have it be very far away from you, these types of behaviors. And he riddles off this kind of list of things that should have nothing to do with the way that we live, what we would call fleshly fruit, right? We go back to the seeds of death that were sown into our lives. It produced fruit that looked like this, malice. Malice is, I hate your guts and I wanna do bad things to you, okay? It's an easy way to know what that word means, deceit. Deceit doesn't always come up in clear lies, but it is always, I don't want you to know all of the truth. Hypocrisy. I live this way towards you, but in private, I live that way. Envy, I want what you want and I think about it all the time. Slander, I tear you down often when you're not around. These are the kinds of things that Peter says, rid yourselves, have nothing to do with them, push them far away from your life. And watch the interesting idea. What was his first imperative verb? Love one another deeply from the heart. These all are about selfishness and sin, the exact opposite of agape. So if we're going to be people now that we have a sincere love for one another, if we're gonna love each other from the heart, these things can no longer exist. They can't have a place in our lives because they contradict one another. Agape love looks out for the best in one another. These last five things I read are all about attacking the worst. So Peter says they don't go together. You need to rid yourselves of them. We saw a phrase similar to this a couple weeks ago. Don't be conformed by the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. And it's Peter's way of saying, hey, what God has done, he's rebirthed you into a new family. You're obedient children. Live whose you are. You have a new identity, a whole new way of living, a whole new family. Embrace that and live according to it. And, and what we see again, we saw it earlier in today's passage about the way we're to love each other, is this ongoing partnership. God has called us into a partnership, but I want you to hear clearly from me today. I was just praying through some prayer cards from last week. My week was kind of crazy with the conference and I was finally getting to those this morning. And as I was praying, I appreciate praying for people in their walk with the Lord 
and wanting to have a growing relationship with him. And what I'm praying for when I'm praying for that though, is not that God, I'm going to sit on the couch and I just want you to transform me because that's not how God works. God says, I am the active agent. Even my word is the catalyst for change in your life. I'm providing the resources. I'm providing literally the indwelling spirit in you, but it requires, it it involves a partnership. There's always a role in which we play in as well. Look in your notes. There's a role that you have in the partnership of living a holy life. The way that you walk now that you've been reborn into God's family. So it's this reality, it's got this huge aspect of how God is contributing, but he's asking, inviting you, hey, step into these things, take a step towards this and watch me do a work and grow that, that area of righteousness in your life. So there's an active expectation, move these things far away from you, get rid of these attributes. But then the third and final imperative comes in a totally different way. And it is this idea, it's that word crave is the active imperative verb. Crave, pure spiritual milk. And and what's fascinating is, and we've seen this, I, I think back to our Christmas Eve services. And during that service, we talked a lot about what God is calling us to all throughout the Bible is two things, is to disengage from areas of sin, the seeds of sin sown into our lives and to engage in the things of righteousness. And, and both are important because if all you hear from the Bible is don't, and even if you respond to those things, you're simply creating a vacuum that is waiting to be filled. So God is always complete in calling you to pull back from one thing and to engage in the right thing, engage in the new thing, look in your notes. There's a consistent theme throughout the the Bible, disengage from the behaviors that marked your former way of life and engage in new behaviors that reflect whose you are. Consistent theme, and we see it really back to back with these two imperative verbs. Rid yourselves of these things that are the products of the seeds of death. Instead, crave or desire this great thing found in the word of God, pure spiritual milk. And so Peter likens this concept to a newborn baby. And I was thinking about that. We have four children. And I was thinking about each time after they were born, what was this real concern and challenge in Joanna's mind is, is that child getting the nourishment that they need and are they beginning to thrive? Each time there's usually a follow-up appointment a week later after you bring the child home. And, And when you bring that child home, what you're looking for is, has that child gained weight? And does that child kind of demonstrate traits of thriving? So that's what a mom of a newborn is deeply desirous of is, is this child beginning to grow and and use the nourishment that I'm providing for him or her so that they can continue these stages of maturing. So Peter uses a profound organic concept and uses it very well, but this is what he says, it's fascinating. You can't teach a newborn to crave milk. But that's the imperative verb he uses for us. He's actually saying there's a role in which we play that desires to want to know the word of God and grow because of what we're learning and how we're getting to know him. 
That's fascinating. That's where the imagery, that's where the illustration parts ways, which is the natural organic concept. Crave, develop a liking for, develop a desire for pure spiritual milk. I want you to know this. I could, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about somebody in your life that you're connected to, that you admire their walk with Jesus. You admire the way that they live towards him and towards others. You admire the way, like we've seen earlier today, they have an agape love for the people they engage with. You admire the way that they just have this sense about them that they seem to know God. And you admire, you want that for your own life. I want you to get a name and a face. Not everyone has that person in their lives, but most of us do. Get that name and that face. And then imagine that we have the time and the ability for you to tell me who they are and for me to invite them to come up on this stage and they would just be lining this stage from one side to the other. And as I would ask them a sequence of questions, I wouldn't ask them many, but one I would ask, what's the secret sauce? What's the the thing that has helped you grow in this maturity that someone on any of our campuses, those are watching online, would admire you for your walk with Jesus? What, What is it that you're doing? What is it that he's done? How would you describe it? Outside of the truth of God's word, I am always reticent to ever say superlative statements like it would always be. But I'm gonna tell you what it would always be to a person, they would talk about the role of the word of God in their lives. They would talk about how they read it. They would talk about how they meditate upon it. They would talk about how they memorize it. And they would talk about how they've made it a rhythm within their lives to go to God's word consistently. That person you admire for their walk with the Lord doesn't have a mere appreciation for the word of God, but they actually believe that God is revealing himself in those pages, inviting you to know him. That's the secret sauce. I was thinking about it this way in contrast in our lives. In 1994, I was realizing doing the math 30 years ago this summer, Joanna and I had the opportunity to be in Germany for a month helping out with a mission who just needed some bodies in a particular community. And we'd met some friends that we got to know and this is what they said to us, hey, we're in Western Germany, we can drive to Paris and do Paris in a day. And we're like, awesome. It was a horrible idea, but it was awesome. We actually had no idea paying attention to a calendar. We drive out there. We get there that night and the city's crazy. We're just trying to figure out, is this normal? We showed up on Bastille Day, which is their 4th of July. I've never had an M80 thrown at me before, but let me tell you, I learned how to duck that night. And so we show up on Bastille Day. It's all kinds of mayhem and crazy. We spent a night in a hotel and the next morning took on the city. Well, of all the places you're gonna do in the heart of Paris, if you have a day, is you're gonna go to the Louvre. This amazing world-renowned art museum. And if you're gonna go to the Louvre, what are you gonna see? The Mona Lisa. This is what it looked like when we went to see the Mona Lisa. It was that kind of crazy. 
it was that. We didn't have cell phones back then to take pictures. You weren't allowed to take pictures, flash anyway. But it was everyone cramming in this room, wanting to get close to what is relatively a small painting. I had no idea how small it was. And guess what? When we got there, crazy crowded space, we're like, we saw it and we kept on going. And it was just that we literally were in the same room with the Mona Lisa and that was the box to check. Guess what that is? That's having an appreciation for a work of art. But that's not sitting with it. That's not looking intently into it. That's not asking the question, what was da Vinci trying to communicate through this painting of this woman? There's a big difference. And when we talk about the word of God, for some of us, maybe many of us, it's become a checklist item. It's become a thing you appreciate when you come to a church service and, oh, they're probably gonna talk about the Bible, that's good. For some, every once in a while, you open it up on your own. For others, you even check the box, maybe even most days. But there's a difference between simply going through the motions and there's the Bible versus, God, you're in these pages and you're wanting to teach me who you are and how you want me to live. There's a difference between appreciation and looking intently. And that's the way that James wrote it to his readers. He said it this way, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, watch, but doing it, remember, um, what prepared world changers do, they live the truth, they will be blessed in what they do. And you noted, by the way, that the reason why Peter can say you are to crave pure spiritual milk is because now you have tasted that the Lord is good. You know this is good stuff. Keep going at that. Keep growing. Keep developing a taste. The psalmist said it this way, taste and see that the Lord is good Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. It's an invitation, watch this, not just a sample, but when you do taste, you will recognize that the Lord is good and it will move you to say, God, this is where I wanna pitch my tent. God, this is where I wanna take refuge in a God that is this good. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today so grateful that you are a God who invites us to taste and see. Invites us that once we have the substantive responses, that was good. That was good. And we gain that today, especially in this era of your church. We gain that so much through your written word. Cultivate, grow within us a desire to meet you there, to find you in the pages of the word you've revealed to us. Maybe you're here today and that invitation to taste and see is an invitation you've never responded to. Never responded to the invitation in the gospel to no longer be steeped in your sin under the weight of judgment, but instead, as we talked about being free today, being freed because of the price that's been paid for you. Today's your day. There's nothing to wait for. There's no class to attend.
Would you A, admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior? It's simply saying to God, God, I know the reason there's a problem with our relationship is me because I am a sinful person. You are a perfect and holy God. But I B, believe. I believe that you sent your son on a mission to spill that precious blood, to be the payment, the ransom for atonement. And the wrath of God can be pushed away from me because it was taken by him. And so I see choose. I choose to bring my life to the foot of your cross. I choose to surrender whatever hold I think I have on me and simply say, Jesus, I wanna follow you. You can make that decision today. There is no need to wait. And my simple exhortation to you, my prayer for you is that you would. Father, this week, use your word well beyond what we do in a worship service throughout this week. Help us to crave the pure spiritual milk of your word and grow us up into who you are. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, give it up for